What an honor it is to be with you in this meeting at the Pippin Church of Christ and to have the opportunity to make new acquaintances and to renew acquaintances of past years, some with whom I've gone to school and, and others that I have known for a long time. We are honored to be here. We want you to know that we truly appreciate the invitation to be with you. We're looking forward to a wonderful meeting and let's all do what we can to encourage others to come and be with us. I'm sure that all of you have friends and neighbors that uh, you could invite to come and be with us, and you might say, well, they wouldn't come anyway. You never know. Uh, one fellow was invited uh, 50 or 49 times to attend the services at the local Church of Christ, and uh, he had refused every time. And his persistent neighbor said, well... I'm going to try it one more time. Number 50. The man came and obeyed the gospel. So don't give up. If people don't come the first time, just keep on inviting them. Barbara and I were going through the Walmart line in Carthage not long ago, and I'd never seen this lady before who was running the checkout. And I said, uh, you're new around here. Where, where are you from? She said, Florida. I said, welcome to the United States. And that's sort of a little joke that I use quite often. And I told her we were really glad to have her in our community. I said, where do you go to church? She told me where she went. And I said, uh, well, I preach over at the Carthage Church of Christ, and we'd love to have you come and, and be with us sometime just to visit our services and, and uh, investigate, you know, what we're about. We'd love to have you come. And she seemed genuinely pleased that I had invited her. She hasn't shown up yet, but when I see her again, I'll say, we'd still love to have you come, you know. And uh, that's a good way to break down barriers and uh, don't be embarrassed and humiliated, you know. There are people that walk up to your front door and try to sell you a vacuum cleaner or whatever, so why couldn't we walk up to somebody and just invite them to come and be with us in a gospel meeting such as this or to your regular services. And we hope that you'll be praying for us, praying for the meeting, praying for the lost, praying for the furtherance of God's word, uh, that I might preach and teach it as it is written and revealed. And I might mention, if you have questions or comments, uh, I'm open to those, you know, and uh, we would be happy to discuss with anyone further those things that are revealed in God's Word. And uh, certainly don't have all the answers, but together we can turn to God's book and, and find out uh, what is revealed therein. But we're honored by your presence today. Uh, whoever you are from wherever you may be visiting, if you're a regular member here, uh, it's truly an honor to me to have a part in this series of gospel meetings. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, Paul reminds us in Romans 15 verse 4. Therefore, the Old Testament should be studied. I'm not saying that we should spend all of our time in the Old Testament. Some people seem to want to do that. But then there are others who go to the other extreme. We should never study the Old Testament. Well, that's simply not the case because you can read numerous passages in the New Testament that remind us of what the Old Testament said. And we need to realize, as Brother Keeble used to say, 
that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And we should remember that. And you can't understand much of the New Testament unless you have some degree of knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. We began a study this morning of the book of Haggai in our Bible study period, and I appreciate the good number that was there or here at that time for that study. But I want to continue that thought today. For those of you who may not have been here at the Bible study hour, the book of Haggai, the setting of it is this. The children of Israel have returned from Babylonian captivity for a period of about 70 years. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies destroyed uh, Jerusalem uh, earlier, and uh, they had eventually destroyed the temple. And, of course, that was the heart and soul of the Jewish religion. Nebuchadnezzar knew that, and he knew that if he was going to bring these people under his control, then that temple had to come down, and so it did. And uh, now, according to God's promise, the people would be allowed to return to their homeland after about 70 years in exile. And uh, so that has transpired. The people have returned to Judah and uh, Jerusalem. And uh, you had the first group to come back and, and rebuild the walls. And then you have other groups to come back. And in the book of Ezra, which gives us the background, really, of the book of Haggai, you find out that uh, the kings uh, that were then in power uh, became uh, sort of sympathetic to the Jewish people. And they, they gave a decree that the Jewish people could return to Jerusalem for the express purpose of reconstructing the temple. So they had been allowed to come back. Zerubbabel and others, Ezra and others, had made their way back. And their task was assigned by the Lord. He said, I want you to build my house. I want you to rebuild the temple. Uh, Solomon's temple was a very elaborate structure. It was very beautiful. You can read the description of it back in the books of Kings and Chronicles and really would have been very, very impressive uh, to viewed. No doubt the gold in it would have been worth probably millions, even billions today. And it was just a beautiful edifice. And the Jews justifiably were proud of it. Uh, you see some of the mosques that are being built by the Muslims today, and uh, that number is increasing in the United States of America, if you're not aware of it, uh, at a prolific rate. And they are beautiful to the eye. They gleam in the sunlight. Well, the temple did that too, and it was, it was set on a hill, and, and it could be seen quite well. And so there were people who oohed and awed about it, you know, who came to, to visit the city and so on. But that was destroyed. That reminds us, of course, that, you know, things that are material, uh, they can come to an end. And uh, the temple has not been rebuilt since it was destroyed in AD 70 uh, by uh, the Romans. But uh, at any rate, as you read the book of Haggai, what has happened is the foundation has been laid. But for 16 years, they haven't done anything. And God calls upon these people to consider their ways. That's where we ended the lesson in the Bible study period. 
Now, he tells them twice in Haggai 1, consider your ways. What were their ways? Well, their ways were not the ways of God because they were not doing His will. His will for these people at that time was rebuild my temple. That was the reason they were allowed to leave Babylon and come back to Jerusalem. Ezra chapter 1, I believe it's about verse 3, points out that that is the specific task that awaits them. Do you remember growing up when mom and dad assigned you a task to do? Ours growing up on the farm was, uh, okay, boys, as you come home from school, you know, I tell my kids we had to walk uh, a mile uphill both ways uh, to get to school, through the woods, through the snow, rain, whatever, you know, you did. But as you come back by the barn this afternoon, uh, I want you to stop and shuck so much corn. Now, that was our task. That wasn't too bad when the weather was warm. But we didn't always have gloves in those days. And man, that corn had been laying there in that corn crib and it was cold and maybe it's an hole on the ground or whatever. But we had to stop and shuck that corn. That was our assigned task. Now, if Roger and I didn't do that, then there was some give and take. Daddy usually gave it, and we took it. And anyway, maybe there was another job, you know. Be sure, boys, there is wood on the front porch so you don't have to go all the way to the wood pile in the snow or the cold, you know. We had to stack that wood on the end of the porch. I can still see that spot. Wasn't a real big space, but we had to fill that space up. That was our assigned task. Now, uh, we come to the barn. We decide, man alive, it's too cold to shuck corn. And besides, we could warm ourselves up and rejuvenate ourselves by having a good old-fashioned corn cob fight. So we put one in the loft, the other one stays down in the hallway, and we stop, start bombarding one another with corn cobs. They're in fresh supply because, I mean, we shell them corn, you know, on that old corn sheller. That's not our assigned task. Are we looking? There's two or three logs on the front porch, and we say, well, you know, there's two or three logs. That'll probably keep us warm tonight. No, we didn't. It was our task to do that. You know, instead of doing that, we could go down the edge of the woods where there's a huge maple tree, grapevine cut off just so high, we can swing out over the other trees on that grapevine. We can play for a while. No, that's not your assigned task. These people forgot their assigned task for 16 years. They had been living back in the promised land and they had done nothing but laid the foundation. Those words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 that the brother read a while ago. He said, let another build thereupon. 
The foundation's been laid. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ. Is there any other foundation? No, sir. Not one other foundation can be laid. You can't lay the foundation of John the Baptist or Moses. You're not to lay the foundation of Alexander Campbell or Martin Luther or anybody like that. Jesus Christ is to be preached first, last, and always. He is the one to be preached. Just like he was on the day of Pentecost, just like he was in that lonely, deserted area where the Ethiopian and Philip made contact. Philip took Isaiah 53 that that man was reading and explained it to him. Told him who it was the prophet was talking about. He said, that's Jesus Christ. One of our elders was sitting many years ago. In fact, I don't know if he was even an elder at that time, probably a deacon in a waiting room at one of the major hospitals or doctor's offices in Nashville. He had his Bible with him, and he was sitting there reading the Bible. There was a man who came out of the examination area and, and came back through the waiting area where this brother was sitting, and he looked at him and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And our brother at Carthage responded by saying, How can I except some man guide me? They were both conversant with Acts chapter 8. And Philip took that passage of Scripture, he began at that Scripture and preached unto that eunuch Jesus. And that Ethiopian became a New Testament Christian as a result of that. You see, we must teach other people. We must be sure that we preach Christ and Him crucified. Don't preach yourself. Don't preach any philosophy that originates with men or human traditions that have been developed and brought about and crystallized and then formulated into church doctrine. You simply take God's Word and you preach that Word as 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 tells you to do. You preach Christ and Him crucified, not only crucified, but buried and resurrected that we might have hope. That's the foundation upon which we are to build. Now notice, Paul said, let everyone take heed how he build thereupon. It's a serious matter to build upon that foundation. But a foundation by its very nature has as its purpose to be built upon. In my opinion, the two most important things about any structure is number one, the foundation, and number two, the roof. The foundation supports it, protects it from beneath. The roof, roof protects it from above. I don't care how beautiful, how elaborate, how expensive the structure is. If it doesn't have a good foundation, it's not going to last very long. Ceilings will start to sag, walls will start to crack, floors will start to buck and do all kinds of things. You've got to have a good foundation. And there is no better foundation than Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't put the roof on it, what happens? Before long, you know, the rain comes seeping in, and it isn't long until that building is in a state of decay and ruin. What's the roof? God. Put God over all. Let Him cover the whole structure. 
you know, and things will be all right then. That's the roof that we need to put on. There's a lot of other things that would go into the building of that building if you were just thinking about a physical building. But the foundation and the roof, very important. That foundation had been there abandoned where the temple was supposed to be erected for 16 years. And Haggai says, consider your ways. What kind of a way were these people walking in? They were walking, first of all, in the way of selfish procrastination. Procrastination is just a big word that means putting off what you know you ought to do today until a later date. There are people who procrastinate when it comes to obeying the gospel. Remember Felix and Agrippa? They delayed their obedience to the gospel. Oh, one is said to have believed, and yet he did not act upon that faith. Both those men, so far as the inspired account goes, died without hope because they procrastinated. Procrastination is a way of life for lots of people, even sometimes preachers. There was a preacher who got up one morning, Sunday morning, and he said, I've been intending to preach this sermon for two years. I'm going to preach on procrastination. You know, even preachers procrastinate. And so many times we procrastinate in life. We see things that we know need to be done. I tell young parents, you need to strike while the iron is hot. You need to, you need to shape and mold the minds of little children. And I, I saw so, I've seen so many beautiful little children this morning. And we're blessed with, I've forgotten how many babies. I think it's about uh, 10 or 12 that we have at Carthage who are about a year old. We're just really blessed. I mean, we're... Uh, you know, just overwhelmed by it. We had to enlarge the nursery even. We had so many. But you, when do you start teaching those children? Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, Ecclesiastes 12.1 says. Parents begin teaching those children even before they're born. Don't put it off. Don't think you're going to have time. Before you know it, I tell young couples this all the time, before you know it, that child is going to be up and away. Up and away. If you're praying that you could just have some peace and quiet, I guarantee you, Mom, Dad, you will have some some of these days. It happens. Children grow up and leave. Of course, there are some boomerang kids, you know. They just keep, you throw them out and they just keep coming back. Uh, but most of the time, the children will leave. And then, of course, they start bringing those grandkids back. Beautiful thing about grandkids is you can spoil them and send them home. I had three of ours this weekend. We got out yesterday morning, just had a wonderful time. Well, it was wonderful most of the time. There was one that was a little bit disagreeable at times. But we worked through that. Ended up taking walk, making pictures, doing all kinds of things. Played some basketball. Things of that nature. At any rate, you need to take advantage. Don't procrastinate. When it comes to obeying the gospel, don't procrastinate. When it comes to doing the work of the Lord, don't procrastinate. These people were so selfish in their view of things. They said, we have to build our houses. We don't have time to build the house of the Lord. And they were robbing themselves of so many blessings because of that. I have no doubt that they intended to get around to doing it sometime or the other. Most of us do have good intentions. 
There have been times as, uh, in my life as a gospel preacher that I had every intention of visiting somebody, and, and I just didn't get to do it. And that individual died. And to this day, I regret that. You know, there's, there are regrets that all of us have. But what was going on? Procrastination. We all deal with it. So many times we're thinking about ourselves. Uh, these people were saying in Haggai 1, well, the time is not yet. It's just not the right time. Well, when is the right time? Uh, well, I don't really know, but it's just not now. And I've talked with people countless times about obeying the gospel. Well, I'm going to. And you know one of the hardest people in the world to reach with the gospel is that person who agrees with you on everything. You need to obey the gospel. Well, yes, I know that. I know that. I, I really do. And, and preacher, I, I'm going to. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to do that. I intend to do it. But don't wait too long. Oh, well, I, I, know, I know that I shouldn't wait too long. They just agree with you on everything. And many, many times they never get around to doing it. We may think we have a good reason for, for procrastinating. Maybe these people were saying, well, the economy's bad. You know, we can't, can't do it now because the economy is bad. Or our families need us. You know, why do we get our kids raised? And why do we retire and then we'll have more time? Do you know some of the busiest people I know? They're retired people. One of our elders retired not long ago and he was saying, you know, I hope I can do some things that I want to do. And he is. But I assure you, he drove thousands, probably even millions of miles repairing copy machines and office equipment. Some of you probably know him, Mr. R.W. Vincent. But he, he is so busy now. He mows yards for people. Some for which he gets paid, I'm sure some he doesn't. If somebody at church needs something done, R.W. will show up and do it. He is constant. People sometimes say, you know, uh, I would like to have a break from teaching a Bible class. He's been teaching a Bible class for 40 years. Every week. And he just keeps on going. You know. People will have, have a knock on the door. And they'll answer the door and he'll say, I thought you might like a mess of turnip greens. Or some peas. He grows peas. He gardens on a little spot at not really much of a garden, but man, he produces so much stuff there and gives a lot of it away. Well, you know, we need more people like that. He doesn't say, I don't have time. He just does it. And more of us need to have that kind of an attitude. These people were saying, It'll be a, there'll be a better day, and then we, we'll build the temple. But really, at the root of the matter was selfishness. We've got to do our houses. We've got to do our things. Then we'll get around to building the house of the Lord. So they, in the second place, were taking the way of self-preservation. They were procrastinating because of selfishness. 
Then they were saying, well, I got to think about me. If I were to be asked what the greatest problem and the greatest, most dangerous philosophy of this generation and several preceding generations is, I would say, me-ism. Have you noticed how much people talk about themselves anymore? They don't even say I or me. They say myself. <laughs> Have you noticed that? I'm not sure that's correct grammatically. Uh, I'm not an authority on English grammar. But, you know, it's, it's about me. What's in it for me? This is not a new problem. This is not a new age problem. It's old as the ages. What's in it for me? That's what Eve was thinking. It was desired to make her wise. It was good for food. It was pleasant to look upon. So why not enjoy it? What harm can it do? We know the answer to that question, don't we? What harm can it do? And you look at not just the athletes and the actors and actresses and, and the politicians, but common, ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill people. Just yesterday, two men exchanged words, or at least some strong glares, at a service station because one thought the other was taking too much time because he had to pull his camper up a little bit and kind of block the exit area making the other fellow circle around a little bit What's, what causes that? me is a you need to make way for me to get out of here exactly as I always have in the same time that I always have. Many years ago, there was a lady whose car stalled in Nashville, Tennessee. She was a member of the West End Church of Christ when Jim Bill McIntyre preached there. And as she, her car stalled at this intersection... There was a guy behind her who started just blowing his horn, just sat down on his horn, you know, and just blew and blew and blew. And she's trying to start it, and it won't start. Finally, she gets out of her vehicle and goes back to his vehicle and said, Sir, if you'll start my car for me, I'll blow your horn for you. Now, you know, there's a lot of people who need to realize the importance of patience and not just think about themselves. But look at what these people were doing. They had sealed houses. Their houses were already good. That's no doubt one of the reasons they had delayed building the temple. We've got to finish our own houses. And then as you continue reading in verse 6, they have sown their eating, their drinking, their clothing, their earning wages. What's happening to all that money 
What, what are they doing? They're spending it and lavishing it upon themselves. I remember one time there was a discussion on how much people should give, uh, what percentage they should give of their income. And, of course, people try to sometimes bind a tenth. You can't bind that. We give as we're prospered. And, uh, you know, uh, we have to purpose in our hearts and so on. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing I've learned over the years. You can give a lot more than you think you can. I've seen that proven over and over and over again. You can give a lot more than you think you can. But one time there was a person who said, made this statement, well, maybe I'm not prospered a tenth. And I thought, what are you talking about? You're prospered a hundred percent. Whatever it is that you make, you're, you're prospered that, and that's a hundred percent. And you're not, you're not prospered a tenth? How are you thinking, you know, about that? I never try to tell anybody an amount that they need to give. There are churches who do that. I know of places right now that you have to report to a preacher what your income is, and then he will tell you, well, uh, you know, in, in view of your income and your in view of your circumstances, uh, here's how much you need to give of that to the church. Now, he just happens to be the, quote, pastor and pretty well in control of everything. I would never place myself in that situation, would you? God is the judge of that. But I'll tell you what, when a person loves the Lord and they love God's people and they love his work, they will give. When men and women are, uh, have given themselves to the Lord first, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5, like the Macedonians did, they'll give. And they will give, as the Macedonian did, even above and beyond what they're able to do. There's one of the younger fellows at Carthage not long ago that said, you know, it amazes me how the church here always responds to a need. And I told him, I said, they always have. And God's people generally will respond to needs when they understand the need. Now, these people had been sidetracked. And they had become intent upon preserving themselves, failing to realize that all of that would be futile if they did not put God first. Haggai has come on the scene to tell these people, you need to get your act straightened up and need to get back to the purpose for which you came. And that calls our attention to the third way in which these people were walking. First of all, you have the way of selfish procrastination. Then you have the way of self-preservation. And that, those two things led to reversed priorities. Now, do you think that doesn't happen today? Oh, yes. There are so many people who would allow God's house to lay waste today while they're living the life of Riley. You know, their top priority in coming back from bondage 
was to rebuild the house of God. And man, they had joy and enthusiasm at the prospect of doing that. But it so, out, uh, so often happens even yet today. Over time, that enthusiasm waned. And the fire had just about gone out. They still had some of those intentions, but they weren't acting upon them. And so what did God tell them? In verse 8, he said, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified. That's what God told those people. Do you remember the saying of Ronald Reagan making that speech several, many years ago now, when he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Do you all remember those words? Most of us do. A lot of us do anyway. He was saying there is something that needs to be torn down. Well, God, through Haggai, is saying to these people, get up on that mountain and get the wood and bring it down here and build my house. The mountains is where the wood grew, the tree, a timber was. You ever noticed in this area in the mid-state how much timber there is on hillsides? A lot of it's been cleaned off, and that's what happened in Palestine. But then the, the hills were where the timber grew. He said, you get up to those hills and get the wood and bring it down. When Dad was growing up down on the county farm in Jackson County, my grandfather Anderson ran it for a period of about 25 years. His job was to cut the wood. And I heard Mom say more than one time, I would like to see all the wood that your daddy has cut in his lifetime in one huge pile. She said it would you know, be phenomenal to just think about viewing that. But this wood was to be cut for timbers to build the temple. He said, get up there and do it. That is your priorities. That is number one. Do you remember Matthew 6, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. Is that your top priority? Or is that, has that been reversed? And your priority has become you, me, mine, you know. Have we developed the me-ism philosophy of life? Whose work is really first? Our own or the Lord's? Are Bible studies more important than social studies? Do you give as much attention to making sure that your children have their Bible study uh, material ready and are ready for Bible class as you do them being ready for schoolwork? Are our wants more important than the church's needs? If that's the case, we've reversed our priorities. Our entertainment, recreation, hunting, sports, and you could go on and on and on, more important than worship? In many instances, they are. 
I still recall that Little League baseball team out in Texas many years ago that forfeited the championship game because it was going to be played on a Wednesday night. And all the members of that little league team were members of the Lord's Church. Championship game. Oh, the, the Lord will understand. You know, we just need to make... No, they had their priorities right. I've known of other people who made similar, quote, sacrifices. But friends, when it, the work of the Lord is involved, it shouldn't be a sacrifice. It ought to be an honor to forfeit that game and to play on the Lord's team. Is money in the bank in our name more important than money in the Lord's treasury in His name? it is, we've reversed our priorities. Whose house is more important? Your own house or the Lord's house? I'm not talking about the physical building. I'm talking about the church. Church is the Lord's house today. We'll talk about that more this afternoon as we talk about the restoration that took place in the book of Haggai. What about your way? Are you living the way of selfish procrastination? Are you living the way of self-preservation above everything else? Jesus said, He that will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You know, that's really what we ought to be doing. Are you taking the path of reverse priorities? God's Word is no longer that important to you, but you still have plenty of time to read all the secular magazines and watch all the TV programs. But God's Word is no longer that for which we hunger and thirst. I hope that's not the case. If you've got your life out of priority, then you can bring it back in. Haggai was sent to say to these people, get your priorities right. Take care of the business that you're supposed to take care of, and then you'll be surprised at how God will bless you. If you've never obeyed the gospel, that certainly is the priority right now. Become a New Testament Christian. Act upon the faith that you have as a result of hearing God's word. Turn from the life of sin and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to return home. And we hope that you'll have the courage to do that, to repent of your sins, to acknowledge them in an open, honest confession, and then pray that you might be forgiven. Come if you're subject, as we stand and as we sing.